Father, thank you for another great night to tackle uh, the book of Revelation and to enjoy it together, to peel it apart, to learn from it, to understand it. I pray tonight you open my heart and my mind that I will know what to say. I'll say what needs to be said. What's not of you will just fall off the bone. And what is of you, God, will be sustenance for our body. We'll grow from it, learn from it, and we give you thanks for it. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Open your Bibles, if you will. Revelation 13, one more time. I know we've been there a long time, but there's just so much meat in the chapter that I do not want to jump through it and just rush over it. A lot of what needs to be said is very critical for the chapters coming. May make a little more sense. I'm going to read the whole chapter again. We're going to jump right in. And then I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. And I'll put this up on the screen for you. We, we have determined that that beast is a conglomeration of a political world power headed up by one individual that we would call the Antichrist. Had several heads and uh, seven heads and ten horns with ten crowns on its horns, and written on each head were the names that blasphemed God. The beast looked like a leopard, but it had the feet of a bear and the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave the beast his own power and throne and great authority. I saw the one of the heads of the beast seemed wounded beyond recovery, but the fatal wound was healed. The whole world marveled at the miracle and gave allegiance to the beast. They worshiped the dragon for giving the beast such power, and they also worshiped the beast. Who is as great as the beast, they exclaimed. Who is able to fight against him? And then the beast was allowed to speak great blasphemies against God. And he was given authority to do whatever he wanted for 42 months. And he spoke terrible words of blasphemy against God, slandering his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. And the beast was allowed to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And he was given authority to rule over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all the people who belong to this world worship the beast. They are the ones whose names were not written in the book of the life that belongs to the lamb who was slaughtered before the world was made. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Anyone who is destined for prison will be taken to prison. Anyone destined to die by the sword will die by the sword. This means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently and remain faithful. And I saw another beast come up out of the earth. He had two horns like those of a lamb, but he spoke with the voice of a dragon. He exercised all the authority of the first beast. He required all the earth and its people to worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. He did astounding miracles, even making fire flash down from the earth, from the sky, while everyone was watching. And with all the miracles he was allowed to perform on behalf of the first beast... He deceived all the people who belonged to this world. He ordered the people to make a great statue of the first beast who was fatally wounded and then came back to life. He was then permitted to give life to this statue so that it could speak. Then the statue of the beast commanded that anyone refusing to worship it must die. He required everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on the right hand or on the forehead. And no one could buy or sell anything without that mark which was either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. Wisdom is needed here. Let the one with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast, for it's the number of man, and his number is 666. I'd like you to look at these verses, because this is what I want to dwell on for the rest of the night. He required everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to give him a mark on the right hand. We're going to talk about that tonight in the forehead. And no one could buy or sell. 
anything without the mark, which was either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. Wisdom is needed here. Let one with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast. And then this phrase in yellow, it's the number of man, and then probably what every Christian that's been around a while and even every non-Christian would know the number 666. Hollywood knows it. Church people know it. And it's kind of an enigma. If, if I let you deep dive or you chose to deep dive on the, uh, the sands of YouTube, you could spend forever uh, finding video after video after video of everybody trying to figure out 666. So I'd love to be smart enough to know that there's just a conglomeration of information. Find out which stream you want to swim in and swim in it. Some people believe it's, uh, it's just a symbolic. Other people believe it's an actual human being. Uh, a system of uh, operating, uh, and as we've tried to figure out 666 through the years, we've landed on Napoleon Bonaparte, we've landed on Hitler, we've landed on Obama, we've landed on Trump. I'm sure we'll land on Biden or Kamala as soon as people try to figure that out, because we're always trying to figure out who who 666 is. He's the Pope, uh, it's the Queen, whatever it is, because we are obsessed with trying to identify uh, the understanding. Now, the critical part is it, it almost lends itself that it can be solved. Uh, even the Bible said, when we read it, it said wisdom is needed here because it can be solved. So anytime I read something like that that tells me, I'll go back and read the verse, just the bottom part of it. Uh, wisdom is needed, verse 18. Uh, let one with, and then it says this, one with understanding let the one with understanding solve it. And so to me, it's like, well, gosh, you know, either we need to be really smart or hang out with really smart people. And I think that's why uh, the Internet, Google, Wikipedia, uh, uh, preachers are just loaded up with sermons trying to tell us who it is down to the, you know, the, the reality of let's take, just for the sake of the moment, the English alphabet, let's assign numbers and then we'll take names and add up those numbers and maybe it'll add up to 666 and thus the person, which is what people try to do, the Hebrew alphabet, it's assigned numbers and then they move all the numbers around and add it up and uh, it's 666. I've always joked about it. I'm not saying it's not important, but I've always joked like, well, I don't know if they're 666, but they're probably 666.5. They're definitely close, you know. I mean, just always trying to figure it out. But here's, as I've read... Number one, it can be solved. So I don't think God's trying to trick us, but neither do I think after tonight you'll go out going, oh gosh, I know who the Antichrist is. So what I hope to do is open your brain place to see it differently than maybe you've seen it before. So that's my goal tonight. And, and again, I, as I say, I'm not saying my way is the only right way, but I'm trying to stretch your brain place to go maybe somewhere you've never gone before. Uh, number two, it takes wisdom, so that would tell me just kind of a casual reading of the Bible. You might not figure it out, but it took wisdom. Number three, it's man-citric, uh, and by that I mean, as I said before about the whole book of Revelation, kind of being Jew-centric, uh, the mark of the beast is man-centric, and by man I mean human being. Uh, uh, maybe it is a real man like the male species, but I'm kind of going more human being. It, I guess it could be a woman. The Antichrist could be a woman. I, I'm more inclined to believe it's male, but uh, that's neither here nor there. But man-centric because it says it's the number of man. 
And that name and number of man is 666. So it even tells us that it's a number of a man, uh, meaning a human being, and I think of a male species. It's connected to the economy. There's no way to study, and I'll take you through it later. There's no real way to study uh, this chapter and talk about the Antichrist that we can just separate the economy out of it, which is why I believe what we've seen over the last year has been critical because it's touched the economy like nothing else has ever touched the economy since we've all been hanging out on this planet. And so I believe that spirit of Antichrist is here. It's connected to worship. Um, you got to take the mark, and if you don't worship, you'll get killed. So there's, a, there's an aspect in this that, that is worship. It's tied to Lucifer wanting to be God and Lucifer wanting worship. And then the last one is it impacts everyone. It's going to be global. It, it'll touch the whole earth. So just from the verses I read, this is kind of what I've pulled out, which excites me to start digging. So that's what I did if it can be solved in wisdom, and I just started digging, so what you're going to get tonight is the mud that I dug up, and maybe you can build a hut out of it, and we'll see what we can, we can pull. So here's understanding 666. I'm not saying that the 666 is not an individual human, as it's often taught, that 666 represents a human being called the Antichrist. He's a, sing, a singular person. I'm not opposed to that at all. I'm, I'm inclined to believe it is true. But I, I do want to stretch that in imagination and try to say, why 666? Why do we even need the number? Why do I just leave the number of man off and just go, there's going to come a dude, his name's the Antichrist, and just leave this whole chapter of the 666, and so as I have been pondering that, really my whole Christian life, not just this week, but through my whole Christian life, listening to sermons and having conversations around it, um, you know, 666 is a man, devil horns, beady eyes, and, you know, he, he represents Satan. So I wanted to do something different tonight. I, I, I want to get you to think of why 666 is critical, and why we needed that number to hit this chapter. And I, I don't think it was just so I could do some good math. And I don't think it was given to me just so I could try to take the Hebrew alphabet and assign numerical values to letters and then start putting everybody's letter in. Because we could do that forever and, and end up with 50 people whose names equate to 666 and just be so far off base we're not even close. So... I want to deal with it in the three sixes that each six represents a, a, a conglomeration of what's going to be going on in that individual. It's man-centric, it's economic-centric, and it's worship-centric. So six, 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 each of them. And I want to start with why I think it's the number six that started it. Uh, why it is 666, and, and I landed on this. I, you know me. I just roll back to the book of Genesis. When was the first time 6 was mentioned? The first time 6 was mentioned was, and on the sixth day. And so I thought, well, if 6 was mentioned on the sixth day, I'm just going to hang out in day 6 and try to figure out what in the world's going on that, that this Antichrist spirit would be connected to that number in the Bible. So, so six in the very first mention in the Bible is day six of creation. Day six of creation is the creation of man. It is a creation of a human being, Adam and Eve, 
And so it, it began to get me thinking about something. That this spirit of Antichrist, this 666, is going to be connected all the way back to the book of Genesis of the creation of man on day 6. And out of that creation is going to move us all the way through the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation. And now a triple six will show up. And it just really had my brain thinking of what it means. So let me just take you on that journey. And I pray it will enlighten you. 1 Corinthians 15. Now this is for those of you that like to study. You can jump in and do this. We just don't have time tonight. But my belief is that 1 Corinthians 15 is probably the chapter that would best define the work of the Antichrist. The reason being it, it is the chapter of the New Testament that to me best defines the work of Christ. What he did in his resurrection, what he's going to do, the immortal bodies that we're going to get. We, we typically read it at a funeral, uh, you know, that death is the last enemy to be defeated. But if we're talking about the Antichrist, then 1 Corinthians 15 was the place I jumped in because something about the Scripture opened up, and this is what opened up. The Scriptures tell us, and then this phrase, the first man, Adam, and he was created on what day? Day 6. He became a living person, but the last Adam, which didn't really inspire me that much as I read, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. What comes first is the natural body, that's Adam. Then the spiritual body later, that would be Christ. Adam, the first man, good with that, I have no problem with that one, was made from the dust of the earth, and this phrase is a mind-blowing thought. We, we could spend months, I think, on it. While Christ, comma, the what? Yeah. So... The thing that's always bothered me is, why did God quit counting after Adam? Adam was the first man, and accordingly in God's perspective, there are no other men that I'm going to count except Christ. He's going to be man number two. I've said that before in a teaching. I'll kind of let it just lie there. But, but the interesting thing is we would think Adam was first, Cain was second, or Abel was third, Seth was fourth. And all the way down to Jesus would be the millionth man. But the Bible says Jesus is the second man. Now when I read the Antichrist is the number of man. And I can go directly to scripture and say well if it's, it's the number of man. The first man we know named in the Bible is Adam. The second man in the Bible is Jesus. Both of them are congruently connected to one another. And then my mind just kind of started going a little deeper. And I went to this thought. And that you put on a what? You put on a new man. Which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Now we get a third player in the wheel. A 666 so to speak. We get a third player that comes along. It reads this way in Ephesians 2. It's a little more clear. He himself, that's Jesus, is our peace, who made both one. That means the Jew and the Gentile. And has broken down the middle wall of separation. He abolished in his flesh the enmity. That is the law of commandments. There's that word law. Uh, we'll see it come out later about the Antichrist. So as to create himself one what? 
He's, yeah, see, the whole work of Christ was to create a new man. And that one new man is both to God in one body, which you and I would call the church. So now the thinking would be, the Antichrist is the number of man, 666. I believe the Bible teaches that there are three distinct what we would call men, although that man here may translate church, a group of people, but still as in a new creation of God. Each, each man that is counted is a, is a creation of God. Adam was the first creation of God, so he's man one. Jesus is God in the flesh, so he's man two. And then the church is the spirit of Jesus in humans, man three. So in God's thinking, we're kind of three in of man, which is day six, which leads me to believe that 666 is man, 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 the number of man, and the three men in the Bible that we have is Adam, Christ, and the church. So that Lucifer and his spirit of Antichrist is going to take on this thought of a number of man, and this is what I wrote down. I'll just get right into it. Six is the first man, Adam. Six is the second man, Jesus. And six is the new man, the church. And the reason I believe 666 was so, and not 6666, like a fourth six, or just 66, just two, or six. I really believe the Bible is so methodically done by the Holy Spirit that if there's three sixes that represent man, there should be three men. And I hope I've shown that. So, so we have a first man, Adam, who is a, life, a living being created by God. We have the second man, Jesus, who is God in the flesh. We have the third man, the church, that would be the body of us encompassing the power and the life of God. Let's ask a question. Does the first man, the second man, and the third man, so Adam, Jesus, and the church, share any commonalities that would be appealing to Satan, that would try to connect him to, to, this, to this thinking? So that when you and I think 666, we think the devil. We think beady red eyes, Ugh, terrible little fella. I, I, here's my take on this. I think the devil, because of Hollywood, we've dumbed him down so much, we just act like he's stupid. He was created by God brilliant. I've, I've said this before, so I won't, I won't belabor the point. But he was created as the sum of the wisdom of God. So he's not some beady little dumb dude. He, he, was, he, was, he was probably the, the pinnacle before Adam. He was the pinnacle of God's creation. Now, because he was created before Adam, that means he's been around all the way up till today. And he's been watching us. We know that's true because he says, I've been patrolling the earth just checking people out. So he knows us probably better than we know ourselves. Because he's been watching humanity for thousands and thousands of years. And when we read the Bible and we're just kind of casually reading it, and we're going back to the stories of Abraham and Noah, just know this, the devil was in the moment. He was in the moment, alive. He's an eternal being. He, he's not only alive at the time of Jesus, he's alive right now. And so when we look at this... And it says it's the number of man. It's because in Satan's mind, it's 666 because he, Satan, 
has seen something in each of these creations that make him desirous of all of it to be embodied within him. The reason it's 666 is because it can never go into day 7, which is the rest and the peace of God. Because Satan can never bring rest and never bring peace. He can only offer it to you, but you'll never get it. He will deceive you into thinking it will come, but it never does come. So when we say 666, it's not just a cool Hollywood thing. I truly believe that God has linked up this to show us that this is what Satan has been wanting. A commonality between Adam, Jesus, and the church that he desires to be in himself so he can, the end result is what we know is to rule the world. Here, there was the question. Do any commonalities exist? So I spent quite a while um, since I had a week off just, man, what, what, what's going on here, God? What, what are the commonalities of these three people? And I think we could probably just all come up with some, but I, I wanted it to be meaningful. So let me read some scriptures. Genesis 1.27. So God created man. Now what man would this be? Man number what? Man. Yeah, man number one. God created man number one in his image. And in the image of God created him. So here's man one. Man one has the image of God. Is that something Satan wants? Okay, yes. Well, we know that to be true as we study on. Jesus. Who is Jesus? Second man. Let's read Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was what? Does Satan want to be God? So once Jesus shows up as God, he desires to be that. That's why he tempted him. That's why he showed up and said, hey, why don't you just worship me? If you will, I'll give you all this. I, I really want what you have here. And he couldn't do it. That's why he tempted Adam. He didn't just tempt Adam because he wanted to get, get on God's bad side. He wanted what Adam was, which was image of God. He, he tempted Jesus, not because he just wanted to get ticked back at God because he got booted out. He wanted Jesus tempted because he wanted to be God. So not, not just to try to get Jesus to sin, which is an end result. Then this scripture. But you, who's you, third man, church, me and you, will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us and then we'll be my witnesses. In other words, you and I right now represent the power of God on planet earth. Uh, God indwells us. We are the body of Christ, which is a weird thinking maybe to some people. But God inhabits us. We carry the presence of God around. So hence why the devil would be so angst against the church. He's angst against the church because he doesn't need you to bring the presence of God into anywhere. This is why, watch, this is why the moment Adam sinned, he's kicked out of the garden of the presence of God. This is why when Jesus was led into the wilderness, it said the Spirit went with him because even though he was in the wilderness, the presence of God was there with him. And, and we, we, have, we start learning now that on Adam is the presence of God. This is why when Cain's booted out, he's booted from the presence of God. God, Jesus in the flesh, represents God's presence walking in human form. 
and Satan wants that. And then the church represents the power of God in human form. We carry his presence everywhere we go. It's why Peter's shadow could pass somebody and they get healed because the presence of the Lord is there. So what we begin to deduce about this is that the commonality uh, between the three first is God. Adam is the image of God, Jesus is God, and the church has the power of God. So when we talk about the number of man, we don't just mean an individual man per se, though it will probably be, but we mean, we mean 666 because it, this Antichrist will bear the image of God, will claim himself as God, and will distribute the power of God, though fake power. But in that chapter, very much, you see, he performs miracles. He works power. He brings healings to deceive the world. So there's the power. It was called the false prophet. But there will be a power. And then there is, he believes he's God because he sets his image up as God. In 2 Thessalonians, he proclaims himself as God. And then he sets up a statue of an image and makes the image to talk. So in this one chapter, you see at the first Adam, the image set up to talk. You see the second Adam, Satan himself as God. And you see the third Adam, the false prophet, doing the power and the miracles of God. None of it is really God, but the whole thing is, I am God. And, and he's going to do it the way God did it. Nothing he does is new. So when he proclaims himself Antichrist, he's like, well, I need an image because God had an image. And I need flesh because God had the flesh. And I need power because God had the power because each one of those could defeat me. I'll tell you how in a minute. Because he's an angel and this was an inherent threat to him. So in Revelation 13, he sets an image, a statue. He's got his, his image, which is weird. That image comes alive. It talks <laughs> It speaks. But then he's got the power in the false prophet to call down fire, to do miracles, to do his work. And then he sets himself and says, Oh, P.S., I am God. Don't worship me. I'll kill you. So the 666 is he's been watching this play out for thousands of years and he's connected himself. Watch. This is his plan. It's why he's called Antichrist. So let's read some scriptures. Then God blessed them. So now what I want to see are there some commonalities of what each of these people, each of these people that we say are man, man one, two, and three, are there any commonalities inside them that the devil would want? So let's go back and read them and just see. Here it is, Genesis 1, and God blessed them and said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and I highlighted two words, govern it. And reign over it. So the thing spoken to the very first Adam was to do what? Govern and reign. This ticks the devil off. He doesn't want anybody reigning on the earth. This is what he wanted to do. But the first Adam was told to reign. We know the story. He sold out. He quit reigning. Let's go to the second Adam. This is the second Adam, Jesus. Revelation 11. We talked about this several weeks ago. The seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices shouting in heaven. The world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and what will he do? Reign. He will reign forever. So now the first Adam was told, you need to reign. 
The second Adam will reign. All I need to know now is will the church reign? So I found the scripture, 2 Timothy 11. Chapter 2, verse 11. This is a trustworthy saying, Paul said. If we die with him, we'll live with him. And if we endure hardship, what will we, the church, the third man do? We'll reign with him. Now we see why the first Adam 6, the second Adam 6, and the third Adam 6 are so appealing to this Antichrist that will use this as his number. Because he's going to reign, reign, and reign. My goal is to control the earth. My goal is to reign over everything. And so now the thing that Adam, Jesus, and the church have in common, each of them rule and reign. So when we talk about 666, we're talking about Lucifer watching the first man and the promise given to govern and reign, and he destroyed it. Watching the second man be given the right to rule and reign, he thinks he destroyed it through crucifixion. It really freaked him out when he came back up and then dumped his power into a bunch of humans because now the church is to reign and hence the enemy comes to... He really... This is, this is my opinion. He really could care less about your swimming pool. He could care less about your dogs, your car. He just doesn't want you to take authority. He cannot have you reigning. He needs you to be a victim... He needs you to be poor, pitiful me. He needs you to be hurry up God and get me off this God-forsaken planet. He needs you to be there because if you don't know you're called to reign, you're not a threat to him. It's only it's just why Jesus will say of the centurion who said, would you just come and speak the word and my servant will be healed? And Jesus said, let's go. He said, no, 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 no. You just say it. And whatever you say, my servant will do because I'm a man under authority. What did Jesus say of this dude who was a Roman? I've never seen that much faith in my own people. So he understood that there's this great authority that comes when somebody understands who they are and how they reign and how they rule. And so when we say 666, I don't want you to just think a number, number, number. Perhaps it will be. I mean, years ago we thought it was a credit card and... Now everybody thinks it's a chip. They're going to put an ID chip in you, and they're going to chip you, and you're, oh, God, that's the Antichrist. I'm going to blow up now. You know, uh, it's a tattoo. When tattoos came out, that's why Christians couldn't get tattoos, because it was when barcodes came out on Pop-Tart boxes. Don't get those. Those are of the devil. they got a barcode on them. It's the enemy. Like you're laughing, but that really happened. Like that people, people just naturally kind of go to the dark place when there's nothing wrong with it. I don't know if it's going to be a barcode, but I think it's silly I think this feels better to me. I don't think the devil's after a barcode. I think he just wants to rule and reign. And if he can do that through a chip, okay. I'll teach you how he's going to do it, in, in my opinion. Let me give you some scriptures for the next, because now the thought is, well, if, if it's ruling and reigning in these three men, what is the reality that he wants out of this? And this is a little deep but I'll give it to you and you ponder it yourself. And you will be my kingdom of priests. I don't mean deep like I'm smart. I mean deep as in just, it'll just make you have to go think it through with, it, with the amount of time we may have to, to spend on it. And you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation, this message you must give to the, gospel, to the uh, people of Israel. Now, this was God to the Israelites, the people that descended from Adam and he called him a kingdom of priests. 
to Jesus, the second man, listen to what they say about this man. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. Now, the second man is linked to priesthood. The first man, Adam, linked to priesthood. Moses, come all the Israelites in the priesthood of the Old Testament. Jesus, now priesthood. So that's blood sacrifice, that's uh, the temple. When, when we talk priesthood, there's no way to talk priesthood without talking about the temple. So priesthood, and then the, then the third man, us, and you have caused them, that's, that's the people of God, Christians, you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests. And I think Peter even says that we're a chosen generation. And then he says, it's a royal what? A royal priesthood. And I know that's so foreign to us in America. I mean, it just kind of over the head of just thinking normal because we don't do priesthood. We don't do blood sacrifices. We don't bring goats and lambs and slay them open. But, but you have to understand what Lucifer has been watching Lucifer, watch now. Lucifer has been watching thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of sheep, goats, lambs, doves, pigeons slaughtered in the name of worship. He watched God's people do it, and as they slaughtered it, he realized that there was this weird relationship between the slaughter and worship. And then you come to Jesus and now you kill the Lamb of God and he takes his blood and throws it in heaven and now everything's holy. And then you come to, to the temple that we saw the other day, the temple that's still in heaven and now we're, uh, I gave you that lesson several weeks back, where we represent in this thousand year reign as priest of God to bring sacrifices unto the Lord. So the, the priesthood that keeps the common of the three is there's priesthood in Adam, there's priesthood in Jesus, and there's priesthood in the church. I do not have time to teach this. If I could dig up the sermon, I'll try to dig it up and post it along with this one. But for those of you that love to study, Exodus, I believe, chapter 28. Exodus 28 does something very strange in the sense that it gives the garb of the high priest. And the garb, the, the breastplate of the high priest is given 12 beautiful stones in it. Uh, there's three, there's four rows of three, and each of them represent the people of Israel, the, the children of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the 12 kids. And so the high priest, accordingly, was to wear this breastplate, and it had the 12 stones in it which is a great thought. That's pretty cool. It's a cool little garb. It, but it represented priesthood. And he would bear the sins and the thoughts of the people before God. Well, remember, when Lucifer sees this, when Lucifer watches this garment go over that priest and then watches that priest bear the sins so that these people that the devil has ostracized from God can now have fellowship with God without him killing them, it makes him jealous. Because these people have what he does not have. And you say, what does he not have? Go to Ezekiel 28. Ezekiel 28 gives us the garb of Satan, uh, of Lucifer. And Lucifer has 
taken upon himself to say he was an anointed cherub that covered and then it goes through and lists the stones that are in his body. And what he has is nine of the twelve stones that are in the priest's robe, the ephod, then the breastplate, I mean. So he has nine of them, of the twelve, but he doesn't have the twelve. My opinion is that ticked him off. What he wanted was the three stones of the priesthood so that he could become God. Because he knew that Jesus was the high priest because he had been into heaven. He goes up and down to heaven. He sees Jesus as the high priest. Jesus has the high priest garment. He sees the 12 stones. He reaches down and sees the 12 stones down here that are exact replica up there and realizes that these people wearing the 12 stones represent the image and the presence of God. I want that breastplate. Because he, this is, was my message was years ago, he who controls the stones controls the world. And so that's why there were three temptations. There was, you know, we said there could be 90 of them, but there was only three. There was three temptations given because each temptation was to take one of the stones out of the high priest robe of Jesus to put it in himself. And if he got them, he could claim himself God and Jesus would have to worship him. But he got none of them. Come on, somebody. <laughs> right? But, but he wants priesthood. And by priesthood, I mean that he who controls the priesthood controls the worship. And this is what he's going after. So I, I put them all together in, in a brief. What does the number of man 666 mean? It means Lucifer wants to be God. Well, this is God. It, it, it means God. It means reign. And it means priesthood. But 666 to me, is the devil's way to say, I want to be God, I want to reign the, rule the earth and reign it, and I want to represent the priesthood. This is why we find himself in Daniel, listen to this scripture, this is about the Antichrist himself. He will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God and every object of worship, and he'll sit where? In the temple of God. And that's going to be in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount. He will sit in the Temple of God. Why would he sit in the Temple of God proclaiming himself as God? He sits in the Temple of God because he desires to be the priest. And then he proclaims himself as God because he knows once he proclaims himself as priest, he can proclaim himself as God. And once he proclaims himself as a priest's God, you have to bring him worship. And if you don't bring him worship, what does he do? Kills you. I'll show you that in a minute while this is important. Here's Daniel talking about him. The ruler, that's him, will make a treaty with the people for a period of one seven. That's the three and a half years. And then he will put an end to the sacrifices and offerings. There's that priesthood. So the Antichrist desires priesthood. And then when he does that at the climax, he sets up a sacrilegious object. There's that image, that man one that causes desecration until the fate decreed for this defiler is finally poured out. I, I highlighted this defiler because it, that kind of says to me it will be embodied and encompassed into one person. The 666, the God, the priesthood, the, uh, the ruling and reigning will find its home in a human being just as it did in Adam, just as it did in Jesus, and just as it did with us, the church. It will find itself in, in a human being. 
Matthew 24, Jesus will uh, put his testimony on the prophecy of Daniel. The day is coming when you will see what Daniel the prophet spoke about. And then he says, here it is, the sacrilegious object, that is man one, uh, the first six, that image of God that causes desecration. And then standing in the holy place, that's the temple, that's the priesthood. So, and then he proclaims himself as God. Here's the question. How will the defiler be able to rule the earth climaxing in the declaration of himself as God? I think that's a pretty good question. How will Satan really do this? It's, it's, I mean, that was real easy to teach, right? Like, oh, here it is. Hey. How does he really pull it off? How, how is he going to rule the world? And I've kind of touched on this as we go, but I want to kind of take it a little turn of a corner and maybe enlighten some thinking. Here's how he'll do it. It's told us. This man, Antichrist, 666, will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power and signs and miracles. There's that church third man because that's what we do. We, we bring the power of God's presence on the earth. He will use every kind of evil deception to fool those on their way to destruction because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. And then it even says God takes part in it. God just causes them to be greatly deceived. So there is a reality of how could the devil take the world over? The answer is really simple. We get deceived. Now deceived is a weird thought because here's deception. Deception is you're 100% wrong, but you think you're completely right. That is the mark of deception. You are just as wrong as you can be, but you feel like you're completely right. That's why the church Christians may say, you know, I just don't see how some boy, 15 years old, couldn't look at his anatomy and say, I'm a boy. Wants to be a girl, thinks he's a girl. And we just look at that like, that's just so clear that that's wrong. But if you talk to somebody in it, it would be as this is the most right thing I could ever do. Now that is the art of deception. The art of deception is I'm completely wrong, but I feel I'm 100% right. You're the one that's wrong. My belief is that spirit has already permeated the world. Uh, there used to be a lot of morality that we could argue over right and wrong, and now morality's just been thrown out the door, and right and wrong is very subjective because of this. Because it has to begin to work to deceive people. Otherwise, we would never go for Satan. We would never let him rule us. So his spirit's already working. Here's the question. What is the reasoning now? Why would this uh, topic of Lucifer have to be connected to the head and the hand? Why, why does that even matter to him? Why would the devil want to mark his kids? Well, you know, I mean, that, that's my thinking on it. And why on the hand and the forehead? Why don't you get it on the elbow, the foot? Why do we even need to mark it today? And so what I would like to, to tell you uh, briefly is what, I, what I've tried to do is establish 666 being man, man, and man, being reigning in priesthood and representing God, but, and, and the culmination of that being worship. But in that, there's this, here's a weird thought, a hunger for Lucifer to mark his kids. My belief is 
He's going all the way back to a moment in human history where he got really ticked off and he's going to make God pay for it. Because that's who he's really battling anyway. He's going for God's throne. And so I want to take you all the way back to probably the greatest battle of enlightenment that I believe Lucifer ever saw up until the cross. I believe once the cross came, it kind of annihilated this one. But I think this is probably the of why he would feel the need to mark the hand. Let's go to Cain. It's the first time in the Bible that the marking of a human being ever took place. Cain replied to the Lord, My punishment is too great for me to bear. Now remember, Lucifer was involved in this. Lucifer was involved in the fall of mom and dad. Lucifer was involved, we know, because God said, Be careful because sin is lurking at your door. Lucifer's connected to sin. So we know Lucifer, Satan, is involved in the killing of Abel. He said, Cain said, you've banished me from the land, and then what? There's the word presence. That, that's what Lucifer was going for. I cannot have the image of God in his presence walking around on the earth. I'm going to have to separate him. He said, you've made me a homeless wanderer. Anyone who finds me will kill me. So can you imagine Lucifer's listening to the convo? All right, I've, I've got the God of sin. Okay, well, cool. God's going to kick him out of the presence. Win-win for me, win number one. Hey, and once I get out there, they're going to kill me. Hey, win number two, man. I want him dead too. He's a threat to me. The Lord replied, which I don't think Lucifer was ready for this one. No, for I will give a sevenfold punishment to anyone who kills you. And then the Lord did something that he had never done before. He had never done this to any human. God put a mark on Cain to warn anyone who might try to do what? Kill him. And then Cain did what? Left the Lord's presence. So Lucifer's first introduction to a mark from a god on a human was a mark that would protect him, and if he didn't have the mark, would kill him, and it would cause the presence of God to go with him. And so Lucifer's watching this thing like, dude, I thought I had the dude dead to right. And God puts a mark on him, and now I can't kill him. Because that dad blamed Mark. And so you better believe he probably, in his wisdom, thought, okay, i gotta, I got to write this down in my journal. There's something about a mark that causes God to, yeah, i gotta, whew, I got to think on that. All right, so he thinks on it a while. Come to the next story. It's the story that we all know from watching TV, the deliverance of Moses from all the Egyptians. Of, of God's people, the Red Sea parts, Pharaoh's people die. Right, that's the story. But in the story, as they're coming out, there's this ceremony that takes place. This beautiful story. It's way too long to read. Our time doesn't permit us. But in the story, this is what we pick up in verse 14 through 16. And in the future, your children will ask you, what does this ceremony that we're doing mean, Daddy? And Daddy will tell them, with the power of his mighty hand, the Lord brought us up out of Egypt, the place of slavery. Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, so the Lord killed all the firstborn males throughout Egypt, both people and animals. This is why I now sacrifice all the firstborn males to the Lord, except that the firstborn sons are always bought back. This ceremony will be what? Like a mark branded on your hand or where? And it will remind you of God's power. 
So now Lucifer, watching this, like, man, I thought I had him dead to right. I got Pharaoh. He's, he's got them all in slavery. They can't even do what God wants them to do. They're never going to get to the land that God promised them. Man, I'm winning. And then all of a sudden, God does this powerful thing. And Lucifer's like, man, you messed me up again, God. What would you mess me up for? I'm trying to kill him. I'm trying to get rid of him. I'm trying to totally annihilate your kingdom. And God brings them out with mighty power and says to them, this ceremony... That you do, he didn't say I'll mark it, he said it'll be like a mark on your hand and your forehead. And then he says it's a reminder of my power. So now what we know from Lucifer that he's going to pick up is that a mark on a human being's hand or forehead is a sign of power to the person you belong to. And that the person you belong to rules the show. So he's thinking this through as he goes. He's just got to take him a while to work it out. But he's going to work out that by the time I get to Revelation 13, which is an interesting thought, is it not amazing that this story's in Exodus 13? Hello? So Exodus 13 talks about a mark on the hand and the forehead, and Revelation 13 talks about the mark on the hand and the forehead, and Revelation, Exodus 13 talks about the mighty power of God killing people. Revelation 13 talks about the mighty power of Lucifer killing people. It's just playing out perfectly. He's watching the whole thing play out. Here's the next verse. This is kind of the ending of the chapter. He was then permitted uh, life back in Revelation... He was permitted to give life to the statue so that it would speak. And anyone refusing to worship must what? Yeah, if you don't take the mark, I'm going to kill you. Because the mark is going to be a sign. And I wrote this down. The mark is a sign of ownership, protection, provision, and preservation of life. That is what God established the mark on a human being to be from God's perspective. It's why Jesus will say he will write on your forehead a new name. I will put upon you and I'll call you my servants. He even says this, wait, don't harm the land because I'm going to place the seal of God where? Yeah, I'm not even going to let you hurt them because I'm going to seal them up. I'm going to put a mark on them. So for God's perspective, the mark, though we think, ooh, 666, the reason the mark of 666, which is rulership, priesthood, and God, the reason that mark is placed on a human is so it can be a sign to God in heaven that Lucifer owns them, protects them, provides for them, and preserves their life. The reality of that whole thing, it's a lie. He doesn't protect you, provide, or preserve you. He's going to kill you. But it's a deception, right? I just want you to know that this is what the mark stands for. It is a sign of ownership. I own you. And if you don't take it, I will kill you. And then it gets really interesting. Take the mark. Here's the promise that Lucifer gives us, Satan. Take the mark and you'll be protected. I won't kill you. I'll provide for you. You can buy and sell. And your life will be preserved. Take the mark. That's what he says in Revelation 13. Just do it. If you do, I'll protect you. I won't let anybody kill you. I'll provide for you because I'll let you buy and sell if you do. You can go to the grocery store, get your food and water, take good care of you, provide for you, and then I'll preserve your life. 
I'll let you stay here on this planet. But here's the question. How do you get an entire world to accept the promise of the mark when all of the claims of it are false? He's not going to provide. He's not going to protect. He's going to kill you. But if I'm, if I'm Lucifer, I've got to get you to buy in. How do I get a group of humans to buy into Satan being God, to take a mark that says, I own you as Satan, to take a mark that says, you worship me as Satan? How do we do that? Even the kind of the raunch of a sinner who doesn't even know God is probably going to be like, yeah, I don't know about that, man. I mean, my mama and my grandmama told me about stuff like this. I don't know. Like, it doesn't take somebody smart to just go, I don't know if I want to do that. So, but, but how does he get us to do it willingly? Well, I think I've found out. Uh, he does it this way. If you control the labor force, you can control the economy. And if you can control the economy, you can control the people. Guaranteed. And you want to know how I know? Went back to the Bible. And this is what I, lo and behold, read in Exodus 5. While Moses shows up to deliver this motley group of people that Satan's going to watch God mark through a ceremony of deliverance and power, he shows up to Pharaoh. Pharaoh gets ticked. And Pharaoh says to Moses, Moses, why are you distracting these people? In other words, you remember the calling. The calling was take this group of people to worship me. Let them go worship me on this mountain. Tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Moses, let my people go. No. God, he said, no. Go back and tell him again. He said, let his people go. No. Uh, he said, no. All right, go back and tell him I'm going to bring flies and destroy everything. And now we have the story, right? It starts unfolding. Well, in the unfolding of the story, this chapter pops up before everything gets too out of whack. And Pharaoh gets ticked. Why? Because people stop working to worship God. And for the first time in human history, work is tied to worship. I cannot let these people stop working because if I do, they will go worship God. And you better know, even to this day, work is worship for people. And work will not let you worship God. I got to go to work, man. I got to work. If I don't work, I don't eat. And if I don't eat, I can't provide for my house. I got to work. I got to work. I got to work. I got to work. As a matter of fact, I get up at 8. I go home at 5. And I repeat that for 60 years. And finally, at the end of 60 years, I'm done with work. The whole system of this world is set up for this. To sell your soul to a job so you cannot worship God because you have to be provided for by the task that you do on this planet. And so now I become a slave to my job. Get up at this time, come to work at this time, go to bed at this time, I'll pay you this much money. If you don't do what I tell you, I will fire you. That's normal work. And we teach our children to work. Work hard, work hard. Nothing wrong with a good work ethic. But I want to connect you to the work ethic is connected all the way back to Exodus where it was playing around with worship. 
And I just want you to know that this stuff we've gone through this last year has connected work to worship. It has shut down the local church. It has shut down small businesses. It has shut down the American economy. Why? Because this economic control is how I will get worship. If I can control the economy, I get worship. It's all the way back to Exodus. i got to end. I'll, I'll be brief. Here's another verse. The Israelite foreman could see that they were serious in trouble when they were told, you must not reduce the number of bricks you make the green. May the Lord judge and punish you for making us stink before Pharaoh's. You put a sword in their hands and you just want to kill us. Revelation 13. He, Lucifer, the Antichrist, required everyone to receive a mark on the right hand or the forehead and you could not buy or sell anything without the mark. Nothing. In other words, what we're learning is Lucifer clues in that if I control the labor force, if I can control the work and the economy, people will worship me. Why? Because they worship their work. And if I can control that, you will worship me. Because you, you know good and well you will want Pop-Tarts for your kids rather than letting them die. And so what I'm going to do is what, what I watch happen in Exodus 5, I'm going to do myself, which is I'm going to tell you that I, the economy, am your provider. I, the government, am your provider. Your job is your provision. I cannot dare let you think that God is your provider. Even though we say He is Jehovah Jireh, my provider. No, that's Bible. He is not your provider. Your job is your provider. You have to think this way. Your job is your provision. And you cannot think any way other than your job being your provision or you're an idiot. And this is Exodus 5. He wants us to make brick. Where are we going to get the straw from? We can't find straw anywhere. And God's up there going, why are you worried about the straw? You're not even going to be here in a month. I'm going to lead you to a land of milk and honey because Pharaoh is not your provider. I am. And then you know the story. He leads them out. But, but the reality is this is setting us up that the economy, the government, my work, my job is the provision, the protection, and the security blanket that I have while on planet Earth. Now, I have to buy into that if I'm going to worship because it's going to be connected to that. And I would probably say if most of us in the room had a choice to take the mark or feed your kid, if your kid's going to die... If you got a two-year-old that's starving to death because you can't find food somewhere, mom and dad have a real ethical dilemma here. Am I going to kill myself and eat the family? Are we going to eat the dog? And when the dog's dead, who are we going to eat? If we are still here post-trib, right? If we're still here and we don't take the mark and we can't just say, well, I'll grow food. You can't grow food. You don't remember what we said? The whole planet's turned to blood and Death, and it's not like you can go out and grow corn. There's no rain. The, everything's turned dark. So the reality of this is, is he's going to snag me through the economy. He's going to snag me through the job. Here's the conclusion. 
The mark of the beast is Satan's way. I'm going to go all the way back to Exodus. It's Satan's way of mocking God by enslaving people to the world's economy. So what he's doing is he's buying back everybody that God took out of Egypt. He's going to bring them back into Egypt. And kind of, see there, I showed you they'll worship me. I'll get them to come right back home to slavery. I'll get them to come right back into trusting me, working for me, dying for me, selling their soul for me, losing their family for me, uh, denying their kids for me, missing baseball games for me. Uh, I'll tell you what, I'm just going to burn them. I'm going to kill them. I'm going to give them high blood pressure. I'm going to stress them out to the max. Uh, No, no, gosh, I'm not that dumb. I'm not going to tell them they're worshiping me. I'm going to call it their work. I'm going to call it their job, their provision. And I'm going to give them 15 an hour just so they feel like, man, this is really true. I'm getting more money now. It's even better now. I'm paid more. It's worth me selling my soul now. And then once he gets us there, he turns the corner with signs and wonders. And once we see miracles, we worship. I just leave you to think this over the last year. It has played out beautifully to show us the power of our economy. Because it has shut down small businesses. It has caused us to get dependent on the government as they now are chatting in Washington to give us another 1.9 trillion bucks more. Just tossing it out. Fast as we can print it and we're going to give you $30. Right? But it feels good. It's like, wow, I got some of my own money back. That feels good. But to control everything. So here's just a thought. You, are we really this naive? I just asked the question. It's good, it's good salsa conversation. Are we so naive that we really thought when they said, give us two weeks to flatten the curve? That was March of last year. You are 365 days later. You not only wear one mask, you now wear two. And now I'm trying to get you to wear three. And I'm giving you a vaccine that needs a booster. But after you get it, you still need to stay home. And still don't need to go to the restaurants. And still don't need to hug your loved one. Why? Because, Dad, Bernie, it's not about a virus. It is about a control of a world through an economic way where if I can control small businesses and end them and I can create big business of government to sustain you, I will enslave you to my government and then I'll slip in and I will own your soul. And I'll do it through fear. I'll do it through disease. I'll do it through whatever I have to do. I just need you to know I'm working my brilliant plan as the devil. I'm getting you to think that it's about something that it's not about because the only way I can do it is to deceive you. So the way I need to deceive you is you think it's about a virus and I get you in fear and then I shut down the economy and then I toss you some money like Pharaoh to tell you that I'll be your provider and then I keep you in more fear and then I give you all this stuff out there and then I just say, just listen to me and let me tell you what to do because I, the government, care more about you than you care about yourself. And we're like, yes, they do. They know what's best for me. No, they don't. They don't give a rip about you. And I'll tell you why. When you die, they give you 200 bucks. That's all you get. They don't care. 
it, it, is, it is a system that's not just working now. It's been working since Exodus 5. And it's just we're living in the middle of it now. And it's not a Pharaoh. It's the government. And it's not all the stuff. It's just work. And it's just jobs. And it's just in slavery. And we don't even reign anymore. And we don't rule anymore. We're just frustrated bunch of people that claim to be the people of God. But we don't do anything. We just go in circles and live anxious and cry out, Where are you when we need God? You know, I mean, that's... What? And, and it's because we quit ruling and reigning. We quit acting as priests and we just went into the system of the Antichrist while we wait on God to come get us. Amen. I hope this blesses you. Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there is anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Be sure to check back next week for a brand new message.